Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. And uh, again, a big welcome to you if you're a guest. Uh, we just hope that you feel at home today and encouraged as you are with us. If you're watching online, thanks for uh, logging in and being with us today. Uh, before we dive into the teaching part of our service, I just want to take a couple minutes. We're, we're a praying church. We really believe that God answers prayer, and we want to be God-dependent people. And so I want to pray over a couple of things. Uh, first, We've got two teams right now in the field uh, serving around the world. We have a team of people in Indonesia right now on Pearl Island. Uh, they're just sharing the love of Christ relationally and conversationally with an island of uh, three million Muslims. And so they're just over there trying to just love on people and share the love of Christ. So we want to lift them up and pray for them. We also have a team of people in Sudan right now with the Tuckman family. And they're in Ye, and they are serving at an orphanage with children. And so uh, they're just trying to love on those kids and show the love of Christ. So uh, we want to be faithful to pray for them, not just now, but throughout the next couple weeks. And also the sports camp that Brian just mentioned. Again, there's going to be a lot of kids here and a lot of families represented. And we just want God to do amazing things. So would you just join me in prayer as we kick off our time in the Word? Lord, uh, we are so grateful that you woke us up today. We're so grateful that you've given us a new day. God, we're so grateful that you've given us new life in Christ. And Lord, we know that there's so many that still don't have that. Lord, there's still so many that are lost in their sins and they're trying to white knuckle uh, their relationship with you somehow by doing good works, not realizing that you did the great work on the cross. You did the great work through the resurrection. And so Lord, right now we pray for our teams that are carrying that message. Lord, we pray for our team in Indonesia. We pray for our team in Sudan, God, that you would use them, Lord, to speak truth and love to those who don't know you, that don't have uh, forgiveness of sins, a, a gospel understanding. God, be with them. Lord, give them health and give them safety and give them wisdom, we pray. And God, we lift up what's about to take place over this week with the sports camp. We thank you for the hundreds of families represented as, as children step onto this property. God, we pray that you continue to raise up the servant leaders still needed uh, to bless and serve those kids and those families. God, we pray that as uh, our staff and our servant leaders love on them, Lord, that they would experience your hands, your feet, and your words, Lord. God, open little hearts and little minds and little souls to the truth of the love of Jesus. God, we pray for spiritual fruit from all that's about to take place. And God, be with us right now as we open your word. Lord, would you teach us? The Holy Spirit be our instructor as we interface with your very word, your living truth right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all said together, Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, years ago, I was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for many years. And inevitably, you have one of those situations that are just tragic. And if you're a youth pastor for a long time, it's a repeated experience. And I had a young gal in my youth group named Sherry. She was uh, 17 years old. She wrecked her truck on the way to school one morning and died. And it's just one of those painful moments that you see a family go through, that you see a community go through. And uh, I remember as we were preparing for the service for Sherry, uh, God led me to a file folder. And in that file folder, uh, I would just have cards, copies of cards that the students would have filled out when they made decisions, spiritual decisions. And so I started going through that file folder, and I found a card from Sherry. And it was when she was at summer camp. And what she had done is she had captured the moment that she realized the love of God for her life. She captured the moment that she heard that she needed a relationship with Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. And she wrote down in her writing that she gave her life to Jesus Christ, that she put her faith, that she put her trust in the death and the resurrection of the Savior for the forgiveness of her sins. And I took that card. And I put it into a sympathy card that I'd written out for Sherry's mom, and I gave that to her at the service. And what happened was about several months later, 
Sherry's mom came to me, and this is basically what she said to me. She said, it's been three months. And she goes, all the flowers have died. She goes, all the food's been eaten. She goes, all the sympathy cards have been tenderly tucked into a little box. And she goes, the most important and significant thing that I hold from that service is the card that you gave me. Because with that card, in the moments where my feelings are betraying me, in the moments where my fears are, you know, the loneliness and everything creeps in, and where, where is Sherry really? Is she really in heaven? She goes, I can pick up this card. She goes, I can touch it, and I can look at the writing of my daughter when she said, I love Jesus. And it just gave her so much hope. You know what she was doing in that moment? She was focusing on God's promises, she was focusing on God's plans. She knew God's word. She knew that Jesus said, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And she looked at God's word and she looked at what her daughter wrote and she clung to the promises of God instead of her feelings and instead of her fears in that moment. And you and I fight that same battle every day, all day. We can decide whether we're gonna focus and let our life be led by our fears and our feelings or whether we're gonna focus and let our life be led by the promises and plans of God. That's the same battle that we all wage. And as we're going through this Genesis series, we're gonna zoom right back in into uh, the life of a special couple, Abraham and Sarah. And as we look at Abraham and Sarah, we're gonna see by looking at glimpses of their life again, moments where they focused on their fears and feelings and the decisions they made in those moments with the moments where they focused on God's plans and promises and what came about because of that moment. And so I invite you all right now in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. So open up your Bibles or fire up your uh, Bible apps on your device. And if you are here today and you don't own a Bible, you physically don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. So just stop by the information center and uh, pick up one free, and we'd love to give you a Bible. But we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 21. Really, there's some uh, stuff in the previous chapters and the stuff in the chapters after that we'll touch on, but we're going to camp out in 21 for the most part today. And I want you to join me in the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 21, looking at how to focus on God's plans and promises. And the first action I want to share with you is that if we're going to focus on uh, God's plans and promises, we first need to know them. We need to know them. Look, look here in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had, what's the word? Promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who laughs and everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah was a miracle because they were elderly and she was barren. But it was a miracle that they should have been anticipating because God promised them that this would happen. God revealed to Abraham and to Sarah, this is my plan, that you too shall have a child. It will be a promised child in which I'm going to raise up a nation, which we know eventually became the Hebrew nation. 
And so uh, this was a plan that they knew. Now, if we were to go back a couple times, we see God reminded them, affirmed his plan and promise multiple times to them. We see the first time this happened in Genesis chapter 12 when God tells Abraham for the first time. In Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. There's the promise. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He revealed this again in Genesis 15, verses 4 through 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. At that moment, Abraham was just uh, perplexed because he didn't have a child yet. He was getting impatient with the promise of God. And he's like, well, I got this guy who's a servant in my house. I guess he's going to be my heir. And God said, no, it's not going to be him. It's going to be your own heir. In verse 5 of Genesis 15, it says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And again, in Genesis 17, regarding Sarah, God said this, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Abraham received God's plan. Abraham received God's promises. They knew them. They knew God's plan. They knew God's promises. And when they focused on that, they did very well. They were faithful. They were obedient. They were trusting. And when they didn't, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I think where we can relate with Abraham and Sarah here is just as God made his plans and promises known to them, God has made his plans and promises known to us. You hold it right here. This is God's plan book. This is God's promise book. And from cover to cover, as we read through the words, God has made his plan known. We can't forget that the Bible is not one book with many stories. It's one story made up of many books that God has narrated over centuries. And it's his plan, and it's full of promises, and he's made them known to us. Uh, if we're ignorant of it, it's our own fault for not putting this in here and this in here. And so God's made his plan known to us, and he's made promises known to us. As you flip through the Bible, you will see many times where God has made us promises. Uh, we don't have time to go into them all. Let me just throw out a few right now. One promise God has made. God promised salvation, forgiveness of sins for people who exclusively believe in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. He's promised salvation for that. God has promised a way out of temptation. Every time we're tempted, there's an exit sign. God promised there will always be an exit sign when we're in a moment of temptation. God's promised to provide for our needs. We throw a fit because God doesn't always provide our wants. But God is faithful to provide our very needs. He's faithful to promise that. Uh, God has promised peace in your life beyond your own human understanding. He says, I will give you a peace that you cannot possess yourself. God has promised that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, when we talk about the promises of God, I need to uh, bring a couple very important clarifiers right now. Because if we don't understand the clarifiers, we get sloppy and we misunderstand how to try to interact with the promises of God. Uh, there's three conditions, really, that we need to understand, three clarifiers about these promises. When we look at the promises of God, some of them are general. These are the ones we really like. Because when they're general, uh, you look at the verse, and it usually says something like, to everyone or to all or to he that, that does this. These are out for grabs. We pray about those. We receive those. We, we cling to those promises. Uh, 
Some of the promises of God are specific to certain people. They're personal. So, for example, this promise to Abraham and Isaac, uh, to Abraham and Sarah for Isaac, was a promise uh, personally, specifically for Abraham and Sarah. And so, like, you know, a lot of you know my story, my wife's story, and we have infertility, so I can't come into the story and go, God, I claim the promise right here that you'll give me a child, because God didn't tell Chad and Rika they're going to have a child through biological means, but he did tell Abraham and Sarah that. Now, that doesn't mean we can't ask God to do that in our life anyways. That doesn't mean, God, would you, what you did for Abraham and Sarah, would you do that for us? God, would, would, would you grant us that? We can still ask, but we still trust God if he chooses not to allow that to happen in our life. But we can't take personal, specific promises and try to apply them to our own life. That's sloppy uh, hermeneutics and, and textual application of the scriptures. Okay? The other is some promises are conditional. This is where we get kind of uh, misunderst- uh, misunderstanding as well. Uh, for example, the, the, the promise for peace we just mentioned, the peace that passes understanding. Well, you've got to back up and read the verses before. It talks about those who come to the Lord with prayers and supplications and thanksgiving. When we're prayerful people, when we take whatever's wrenching our gut and we convert it into passionate prayer, then God will give us a peace that passes understanding. The reason some of us don't have that peace is because we're not doing that. So we can't take a verse that says, well, God, you said you're going to give me peace. He's like, well, you're not talking to me. We can't, we can't do that. When we look at a verse that says God works all things together for good, the period doesn't stop. It doesn't stop right there. There's no period there. It says for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so that's where we go, okay, this is a conditional promise that if I love God and I want his purposes to reign in my life and in the world, he's going to make whatever junk happens in my life somehow have good come out of it. My character is going to be built. My endurance is going to be built. Um, God's going to use it somehow. And so we have to understand that when we start talking about the promises of God or else we're going to mess up. I do also want to say this. Desiring something and truly believing that God's going to give it to you is dangerous because God may not have promised that to you. This is where we get uh, misunderstandings, where we take our feelings and our fears and we try to convert them to a promise of God. God's going, no, 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 you can't do that. You just, just let my promises and plans um, you know, interface with your feelings and your fears. And so we have to be careful. But no matter what we have to do, the bottom line is we need to know God's promises. We need to know God's plans. And the reason so many of us are victims to our fears and our feelings all the time is because we don't know God's plans and we don't know God's promises because we're not in the Bible. We're not in the word of God. We're not a self-feeder, just consuming God's word daily. Not once for you know, 30 minutes during a week at church, but we're in the word of God. And the reason some of us struggle with our feelings and our fears leading our life instead of God's plans and promises is because when we go to our mental desktop and we see that little folder there that says promises of God and we click on it, there's nothing there. And there's nothing there because we haven't downloaded anything. And so let's download God's promises. Let's download God's plan so that in those moments we can go to that. We know them. Abraham and Sarah knew it. If we want to focus on God's plans and focus on God's promises, we got to know them too. The second action that we can really learn about God's uh, promises and plans and how to focus on them from the life of Abraham and Sarah is this. We have to stay under them. We have to stay under them. Abraham was 75 years old when God brought him this promise, when God revealed his plans. If you do the math, how old was Abraham when he had Isaac, the fulfillment of that promise? A hundred. He waited for 25 years. That's a long time. Some of us are like, Lord, would you, would you just do this? And we wait 30 seconds. We're like, well, God's not real. 
He didn't do it, you know? It's like he's like some big magician up in the sky, poof, you know? And it's like Abraham waited 25 years to see this promise, this part of God's plan come into his life. So what was his responsibility during those 25 years of waiting? To stay under what he knew. But what happens when we wait? We get impatient. We get twitchy. We start to think about ways we can, you know, with man-made solutions, resolve the issues. And that's really what we're about to see happens. But, but first we have to understand there's this place of safety and strength and peace and joy when we stay under the promises of God. And so to kind of help illustrate that uh, this morning, what I want to do is borrow my little friend here, patio umbrella. I think a lot of you have a patio umbrella. How many of you have a green patio umbrella? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have brown? Any brown patio umbrellas out there? Blue? Any blue? Any blue takers? The best color in the world? Okay. Uh, how about paisley or flower? How many of you really don't care? Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. Abraham and Sarah knew God's plan, God's promise. So their responsibility was to stay under it. No matter what was going to happen, they needed to stay under it. They wanted to avoid the temptation led by their feelings, led by their fears, to come out from underneath God's plan and God's promises. But when you look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, you see several times where they stepped out. Like, for example, when you go to Genesis 12, you see what happens. They're going into Egypt. And, and, and they know God's plans and promises, but all of a sudden, Abraham feels scared. Abraham's feelings get in the mix. And when he dies, he goes, ooh, Pharaoh's a big bad dude. I've got a hot wife. He's going to like her. He's going to kill me and take her. So he steps out from underneath what he knows, and he innovates his own solution. and says, oh, Pharaoh, don't worry. It's not my wife. It's my sister. And he totally stepped out of you know, what he knew of God's plans and purposes. We see him do that same exact thing in Genesis chapter 20. Same exact lie. You think he'd be more creative than this, you know? So he goes into Gerar, and there's King Abimelech. And King Abimelech, he's like, ah, King Abimelech, big people, got a hot wife. Hey, it worked in Egypt, so, you know, maybe work out here again. Led by his fears, led by his feelings, he stepped out from underneath what he knew of God's plans and purposes. And he said, oh, Abimelech, don't worry, that's not my wife, she's my sister. And, and he, he stepped out from what he knew. And, and, of course, we know the biggest part, and a lot of what we're going to focus on today, we see in Genesis chapter 16. They're supposed to be staying under God's plans and staying under God's promises, and they're getting impatient. They're going, man, it's been years. It's been years. We're not pregnant. We don't have a kid. We're getting older. And Sarah, aha, comes up with an idea, led by her feelings, led by her fears of not being able to deliver a child. She comes up with a game plan. She steps out. She says, how about this? How about, Abraham, if we take Hagar, my servant from Egypt, and we give her to you as a wife? And then you can be with her and conceive and have a son. In fact, and this is almost like you can hear them trying to engineer this as putting the God stamp on it. Maybe that's how God wants to do this. We've done that, right? You've done that. You've manipulated your own situation and tried to put a God stamp on it. Come on. All, all of you guilty, stand up. Just joking, because we're all stand up. <laughs> she came up with this idea. And Abraham, what a, what a numbskull, man. She's like, okay, you know? And so all of a sudden, they stepped out of God's plan, out of God's promises, and they created their own solution, a man-made innovation to something that was supposed to be divinely designed and provided. And they stepped out from underneath God's plans and God's promises. You know, an interesting part about that, where did Sarah get the idea? Was she just sitting on the couch one day watching TV and looking over at Hagar going, hey, I got an idea. No, this was a cultural practice. 
And they lived in cultures that didn't worship God. So what she saw in the culture around her was this was a common practice. Hey, if, if I can't have a child, and then what I'll do is I'll take one of my servants and give them to my husband, and they can have a child through her, and then you know, we just adopt them in, and now we have an heir. This was a cultural practice. Did God call them to adopt a cultural practice? No. God called them to stay under what they knew of his faithfulness and his provision and his promise and his plans. And so Sarah adopted a cultural understanding and let it influence her thinking. How are you doing that? Because when you and I get in the word of God, God's very clear on all the big questions. He's very clear. And we're supposed to live underneath what we know God has said. But here's what happened. The world says, oh, and when the world, our culture speaks, it speaks to our fears. And it speaks to our feelings. And it speaks to our flesh. And what happens is we say, oh, I know what God has said about sexuality, but you know, I, the culture says this. So maybe the culture's right. Or, or you know, so I know what God says about marriage and, and, and how he's designed marriage, but the culture is saying this. So, you know what? Hey, everything's on the table for marriage. You know, we can live together. We can sleep together. It doesn't matter. Then one day we'll just put the ring, make it formal. That's not what God has said. God has said, this, this is life. Life is precious. Life is, and we go out here and go, well, the culture, the world says that, you know, when does life really begin? God says, the purpose of your life is to glorify me. And the culture says, no, your life is to like live it up and glorify yourself. Like, how are you and I letting the culture pull us out of what we know God has said and we start to live by that? And every time we do that, guess what happens? Every time we step out from underneath God's plans and God's purposes, what happens? We make a mess. We make a mess. Every time you and I step out from underneath God's plans and purposes, you will get hurt somehow or and or someone else will get hurt by our missteps. And so we have to learn how to have long-range vision. Okay, God, if I stay faithful to you, how are you going to bless? How are you going to show favor in my life? How how are you going to bring promises and plans? How am I going to see that stuff? Because every time we take a misstep, uh, things aren't going to happen. Now, we see that go down here. And when you fast forward a little bit and jump back into Genesis 21, we see that, uh, indeed, uh, God did give Abraham a child, through Hagar, and that uh, is Ishmael, right? And what happens eventually is the clash of their human innovation with what God had originally designed. And so we jump back into Genesis 21 and look at verse 8 with me. And the child, speaking of Isaac, grew and was weaned. And he's probably about three or maybe even four at this point. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, you can almost hear that clenched teeth, elbow in the side, pulling him, you know, cast out that slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This right here is a very painful moment within the family. Because Abraham loves Sarah. Abraham loves Isaac. And Abraham loves Ishmael. 
I mean, this was his one and only son for years. And he was the oldest son. He, he loved Ishmael. And we have reason to believe he was very fond of Hagar. And here's this moment where now the clash of the human plan and the divine plan come together. And let's just always understand the divine plan will always win. One way or the other. God will make it work out to good for his good and it always will win somehow. And this is, a, this is a bitter moment because now Abraham has to send off, here's a loaf of bread, here's a little container of water, go. I mean, this is, this is crazy. And it's painful. Why is it painful? Because they started here and in one moment they made a decision and stepped out here and it led to this. And every time you and I take that step out, something's going to happen. I mean, think about the, the, the ramifications right now. Think about our headlines for the last few weeks, for example. The increased intensified violence we're seeing in the Middle East between Palestine and Israel. A lot of you know this. Some of you might, this might be new information to you. You know what that is? We are looking at this moment, this moment right here. We are still seeing that through our history books and our headlines because the, the Islamic Arabs are the direct ancestors of Ishmael. And the Jewish Israelites are the direct ancestors of Isaac. And they're still at war after thousands of years, centuries. And it's like, once they made that decision, they couldn't bring it back in. And it didn't come back in. Like, that should be a reminder for you and I. Like, okay, if I make this decision that isn't wise, if I make this decision that's not good, how far will the damage go? And how long will the damage affect me, my family, my friends, my relationships, my reputation? We're still seeing Isaac and Ishmael separate and war. It's all through the pages of Scripture. Because Abraham and Sarah got impatient and didn't stay under what they knew. This is what is a huge, huge thing for you and I to understand. So we have to learn not just to know God's plans and promises, we have to have the discipline to stay under them. Let's stay under them. The third action that we can learn that happens when we focus on God's plans and purposes is we get to experience them. We get to experience them. Think about this. Abraham and Sarah are really more known for their faithfulness. Like these are missteps, but, but they really spent more time under here. They really did. They did take some times out here, but they spent more time under here. And when you look at their, I mean, they left their home and they left their family and they just trusted God and they obeyed. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. But what we see here is that, that um, when they start to live under here, they experience God's plans. They experience God's um, blessings and his, and his um, promises. For example, just think about what their whole life must have been like. How did they see God daily protect them on this journey as they trusted God? How did they see God daily provide for them? What did they feel when all of a sudden they held baby Isaac for the first time, going, no way! You're old. You're ancient. We're holding a baby. This is crazy, you know? And it's like, it's the, that one has been amazing. They were experiencing. Now, they didn't get to see the Hebrew nation form and grow to the vastness that it is. They didn't, didn't get to see the fulfillment of that. They didn't get to see Jesus come out of his lineage and be the savior of the world as God's divine vessel. They didn't see any of that. But they got to hold and experience some of the blessing how do they feel in those moments? They got to experience it. And what's so amazing is because we have a God of grace, because we have a God of grace and a God who's faithful, the, the experience of God's faithfulness and his, and his, and his um, promises didn't just stop with Abraham and Sarah and even Isaac. 
Because God extended his promise even to Ishmael. Because he made a promise to Abraham. And because Ishmael was from Abraham, he got to be part of the promise. And we look at that. If we look at Genesis chapter 17, verses 19 through 21, God and Abraham are having this conversation. And Abraham's really upset because he's like, can you just work through Ishmael? Can you, can you just do your promise thing through, the, through Ishmael? <laughs> Here's what God said. He says, God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you, and behold, I've blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly, and he shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year." Ishmael was not the promised son, but he still became a blessed son because God extended the promise to him. We see that promise fulfilled. If you look at Genesis chapter 21 again, and we we see what actually took place after Abraham sent them into the wilderness, in verse 15, we see God keeping his faithful promise to them. It says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, about how far you can shoot an arrow, and said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. That's something to take note of, by the way. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy who, uh, where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Such an interesting situation. Because he wasn't the promised son, but God still kept a promise to him because he was the son of of Abraham. And I think what's so encouraging about that is here you have uh, really what the Islamic faith points to as their origins, they still have a very holy site of that very well they believe that Hagar and Ishmael drank from on the way to Mecca. This is where they point back and go, we're, we're children of Abraham through, through Hagar and Ishmael. And this is where the Bible and the Quran deviate from one another. But it's like, man, if God can still show favor, compassion, and love, and still keep a level of promise to, to them, how much more is God going to keep a promise and show compassion to you? Because some of you feel like Hagar in moments. She was absolutely helpless right here. I mean, think about how sad this image is. She puts the boy under a little piece of shade in the wilderness, goes as far as she can where she can still see him but can't totally watch him die. And she's weeping. Ishmael also must be praying and weeping because God heard him. And because he was the descendant of Abraham, he had God's ear. And God revealed a well of water to Hagar and said, take, have sustenance, survive. Now, some of you are going, man, I feel like Hagar. There's hopelessness in my life. Maybe, maybe if you're a single parent, you really relate to Hagar. You're going, I'm single mom. How am I going to provide for this child? It's beyond me. I'm overwhelmed. And you can relate to that, but God was faithful to them. And if God's going to be faithful to them, God's going to be faithful to you. And he wants to open up your eyes and show you how. God opened up Hagar's eyes and showed her a well. You know, showed her a well for physical 
thirst quenching. The beauty is when God opens our eyes, he doesn't just want to meet our physical thirst, he wants to meet our spiritual thirst. And for all of us who are in Christ, and for all of you here who need to be in Christ, God wants to open your eyes and show you the well. Remember what Jesus said in John 4, 14? He says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In the same way, so many of you here who love Jesus, God opened up your eyes and you saw that Jesus was not just for physical life, but for spiritual life, for a new life. And for some of you here, that's exactly why you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in. Because you're looking for answers in all these places and God's going, I want to show you where the answer is. I want to show you who the answer is. The answer is Jesus. And he will give you a thirst-quenching experience of new life if you allow him to. That's the God of mercy. That's the God that we know and love. And just as Ishmael was able to receive some of the promises and blessings from Abraham, that same opportunity is available to you and I. Because when you look at the lineage of Abraham, you know that God chose him to bring the Savior of the world. You, you look at what God's done through the lineage of Abraham. He, he birthed the Hebrew nation, the Jews, the Israelites. He gave us God's word through the people of Abraham. He gave us God's Savior for the world through the man of Abraham. Because when you follow the lineage from Abraham all the way to Jesus, and Jesus came, it's funny, Abraham was waiting for the birth of a promised son through miraculous means. Thousands of years later, we had a birth of a promised son through miraculous means. That's not an accident. That's not an oops in the Bible. God goes, watch this. Let's see if they catch this. Put it here, put it here. Let's see if they figure that one out. We go, man, there it is. It's, 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 he's pointing to Jesus. And so when you and I see the cross and we see the death of Christ and we see his resurrection from the grave, you know what that is? That's an invitation to be enfolded into the promise. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You know, to kind of toy with this umbrella a little bit again, it's like this. Before you give your life to Christ, before you come to the Lord for forgiveness of sins, you are outside of God's provision, protection, and promises, and salvation, and forgiveness of sins. And you're out here trying to figure out how to do it. How, how, do, I, how do I get this thing with God worked out? Do I work harder? Do I go to church? Do I be a good person? And God's going, that's not it. It's the cross. It's the resurrection. And when you and I place our faith and belief in Jesus, we come under God's plan of salvation. And he says, you're mine forever. And one day, I'm either going to come get you, or you're going to come to me, I'm going to welcome you home. Now, some of you have done that already. Many of you have done that, where you've given your life to Jesus, you've received God's promise and plans, and you're experiencing them. Some of you are sitting here, and again, this is where you're at. You're out here trying to figure it out, and God's given you a huge, giant, lit-up sign saying, here it is, the death, resurrection of Jesus. Come under that understanding, belief, and forgiveness of sins is yours. New life is yours. That's what God's saying. And it's all through what he did with Abraham. And if you and I want to learn to focus on God's plans and his promises, we've got to know them. We've got to stay under them. And when we do, we're going to get to experience them. Now, I've got a young man named John. I want to show you a little bit of his story. Uh, I started off talking about a teenager and now I want to end talking about a teenager because teenagers are awesome. If you're a teenager in the room, woohoo, you're awesome. Here's John's story, and he's one, of, he's one of our own CVCers. He says this, he says, I was a Christian my entire life, but never truly felt God's presence in my heart. I was joyful, happy as a child, but as I grew older, pain began sucking my joy from me. I didn't belong in middle school, and I was constantly picked on by others. 
I had severe acne and self-esteem issues. I felt alone, feelings, led by the feelings. A deep, empty chasm filled my heart, and I felt like an empty person. Around this time, my dad was diagnosed with liver cancer. I didn't know how to take it or how to channel my emotions. I tried not to think about it, and I looked for other ways to ease the pain. Throughout my dad's battle with cancer, I began to spiral down into a deep, depressive state. I began to look for answers to deep questions and everything but God. He came out from underneath. And I felt I found answers to creation religion, but my heart was still crying out for something more. In the leading months of my dad's passing and a period following, nothing seemed right. Life was surreal, yet somehow I continued. I wondered if heaven or God even existed. And again, I looked for answers elsewhere. You know, my dad lived for Jesus, but his personality and his exuberance was fleeting in the months leading up to his death, which was excruciating to watch. But there was nothing I could do. My mom was broken down and also struggled more immensely than I did. And I love her for her strength. She was my example of how to lead a Christ-centered life. And slowly but surely, I began to realize that God was not some magical power or Jesus was not just some fairy tale. I still have sin in my life, but slowly God began to reveal himself to me. I began to surround myself with true brothers and sisters in Christ again. I still lived a life as a lukewarm Christian, which kept me from truly experiencing Christ's mighty power. I was too prideful to give my life up, to give up all the things of my past that plagued me and kept me from Jesus. But over the past several months, my walk with Christ has become stronger than I could ever have imagined. And I can tell you with my full heart that God is real and Jesus is waiting for you to run into his arms. Today, I still struggle with sin, but through Christ, I've been redeemed and much of the sin of my past I've left behind and I have found my identity in Christ. And he put this verse at the end of his testimony. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. John is experiencing new life in Christ. He knows it. He's fighting to stay under it, and he's experiencing it. Where are you today? Are you out here trying to figure it out? And God just gave you a roadmap and couldn't have made it any easier for you today. And you need to give your life to Christ today. Or maybe you're under here and you know Christ and, and, and you are in a tug of war with the world and they're trying to pull you out and your, your feelings and your fears are trying to pull you away from God of what you're learning and what you know and you're fighting right here and God's saying, the reason you're here today, the reason you're tuning in, the reason you're here in this room is because you need to stay here. Fight for what you know of me and what I've told you. Because if you do, you'll experience my plan and you'll experience my promises. I don't know where you're at today, but God wants to do something in your life. Will you obey? Will you respond? And as we close, I'm going to encourage you to respond. We have a couple different ways that you can do that. One, we're going to have a prayer cove over there, and there's going to be a few friends hanging out, and they're just ready to pray for you. Maybe you're here, and you just feel like, ah, I need someone to pray for me because I'm really struggling. Just go over there. Let them pray for you before you leave today. Maybe you're here going, ah, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Got it loud and clear. I'm going to pray in a second, and you can join me in that prayer and give your life to Christ. But if you do, I'm going to challenge you to do a couple things. One, let us know so we can come alongside you and help you and encourage you and coach you how to grow, how to, how, to, how to learn the promises and plans. And so mark it on that response card in your program or tell someone at the prayer cove or come up to the information center or guest reception and go, I just gave my life to Jesus. What's next? We'd love to tell you. 
You know, another way, if you're online, you can send us an email at connect at CVC online. Let us know what decisions you need to make, but just respond to what God's given you. Also, it's about to close out. I just want to say a big thank you. You know, we hear stories like John's of what God's doing here in and through CVC. You know why? Because a ton of you are serving, because a ton of you are praying, and a ton of you are giving. And every prayer, everything you do, everything you give goes to help people like John experience new life in Christ. So thank you for investing. Thank you for being part of Change Lives because it wouldn't happen without you. Let's pray. God, you have our attention. Man, you, you got Abraham and Sarah's attention big time <laughs> in big ways. And God, sometimes I look at their life and I look at their story and they just seem huge. There's no way we could ever fill those shoes, but they were just regular people, broken people, fallen people that you said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. And God, you look down at us and we're broken people and we're messy people, but God, you're a perfect God. And when a perfect God gets into a messy person, beautiful things happen. And God, this room is full of beautiful works of yours. God, there's still work to be done. God, we come here. Some of us that know you and love you are wrestling. God, would you allow us to stay calm and feel peace and to stay focused on your plans and promises, Lord Jesus. And God, there might be some here today that they've never given their life to you. They've been trying to make things right with you in so many other ways, but today you've made it loud and clear. It's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that you've opened up the door for forgiveness of sin. God, as you allow them to respond to you, and that's you today, all you got to do is say, God, come into my life. I believe. Today, I place my trust, I place my belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And although I have so much to learn, and I have so many questions, I'm taking the first step right here, right now. Help me to follow you, to know your plans and promises, and to live under them. Right here, come into my life. God, we so love you, and we're so grateful for you. God, we, we thank you for these gifts we're about to receive. Pray, God, that you would take them and multiply them so we can hear more stories like John's. More people can experience truth and love of the one who made them and knows them and loves them and who has a plan and a promise for them. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and we say together,